أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم حاميم تنزيل الكتاب من الله العزيز الحكيم ما خلقنا السماوات والأرض وما بينهما إلا بالحق وأجل مسمى والذين كفروا عما أنذروا معرضون قل أرأيتم ما تدعون من دون الله أروني ماذا خلقوا من الأرض أم لهم شرك في السماوات إيتوني بكتاب من قبل هذا أو أثارة من علم إن كنتم صادقين الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد الحمد لله we are on the 26th juz and um, there's a lot to cover today so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help uh, to allow it to be completed uh, within the time we have so this 26 just starts with suratul ahqaf which is the last of the hawamim it's the last hamim that is followed then by a madani surah because as you know the hamims are makki surahs and then we have a madin surah surat muhammad that then is followed by suratul fath and then that is followed by Surah Al-Hujurat. All of these are Madani. And then it goes back to a Makki Surah, Surah Al-Qaf. And then after that, we have half of Surah Al-Dhariyat as well, right at the end, which is another Makki Surah. So we've got several to, to cover today. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us. So Surah Al-Ahqaf, I said it's a, it's a Makki Surah, 35 verses in it, four sections. And just like other Makki surahs, it has the three basic foundational Islamic aqidahs mentioned in here. And it starts off Tanzilul Hamim, Tanzilul Kitabi min Allah al Aziz al Hakim, revelation of the book from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mighty and wise. Uh, and then immediately it goes into the discussion of the heavens and the earth. We've created all of these things in the heavens and the earth, the heaven, the earth, and everything else in between with the truth with full authority and also for a specific time period. They're not forever. So just like they're going to perish, everything contained within like us, we're going to perish as well. But those people who, uh, who disbelieve, um, they ignore the warnings. So then after that, there's several different um, challenges and questions and responses that are basically provided regarding the mushrikeen. So let me just quickly mention some of them if you look at the verses uh, aside from talking about what's going to happen to them on the day of judgment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Am iftara, do they say that it's fabricated say to them that if I fabricated then basically you would ha- not be able to defend me from Allah in any way right that would be a big crime for me to do that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows exactly what you get involved what everybody is involved in and so on he's the witness that's verse 8 then after that, in verse 9, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet ﷺ to say that I'm not some kind of new prophet. You know, there are many, I'm not like unprecedented. I'm not a bid'ah, a bid'ah like I'm not a new prophet, meaning I'm not a new idea. There's been, um, there's been other prophets before me. I don't know what's going to happen to me or what's going to happen to you. Meaning that's the future only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows and I only follow that which is revealed to me. Right, inspired to me, and I'm just a clear warner. And then there's a few. Then the uh, number eleven is very interesting. This was, I still remember the tafsir of this done uh, by Sheikh Yusuf Mutala, rahimahullah, our Sheikh, when uh, he first taught us the translation of the Quran. I still remember when he said this, and that was about 25, 27 years ago. He said that the people who disbelieve, they will say to the people who believe that if this was a good thing, like if this religion was a good thing then these poorer people and the lowly people of Makkah would not have basically gone ahead of us and, and it wouldn't have gone to them first, it would have come to us first. What, a, what an evidence, right? You know, we would have been the first to take this on if this was a good thing. It wouldn't have gone to them because good things come to us first. Allahu Akbar. Anyway, then several other things are mentioned. 
Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the book of Musa salam, coming before so that this is not some kind of new idea, it's precedented before. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the people uh, in verse 13 and 14, that those people who say that our Lord is Allah and then they remain steadfast, no fear upon them, they will not grieve. These are the people of paradise, they will remain in there forever and that is recompense for what they used to do. Now the next verse which is verse 15 is really interesting. This verse... It tells us, um, essentially this is giving us uh, two, two examples, contrasting examples right, of children. Uh, one is the child who listens to his parents, obeys his parents because of all the difficulty that the parents, especially the mother, has gone through to give, them, give the children birth and then to bring them up. And they're very obedient and they, for them is basically uh, good deeds and in the hereafter these are the people of paradise then it provides a contrasting example so if you look at verse 15 first we've uh, basically we've instructed the insan to uh, act well and excellently with their children uh, with with their uh, you know with their parents right so the mother uh, talks about how the mother bore him from stage to stage and all of that difficulty and then this one actually talks about nursing carrying him and also nursing him you know this is about 30 months two and a half years or so right until he gets to his strong age until he gets the he picks up age is youthful now his mind is uh, is is made up about certain things and then eventually he leads middle age and 40 years of age. This is a very interesting point. And subhanAllah, this I think is the ayah for midlife crisis. This is the guidance for midlife crisis. Those of you who you know, are passing through the 38, 39, 40 mark, people start, end up some, doing some really crazy things at that time. Here, the Quran depicts what a true believer does at the, around at the age of 40. When he gets to the age of 40, he's had a lot of experiences of life. So that's why now he makes the following dua. And this dua is from the Quran. It's the dua for the age of 40. So if you are around the age of 40, you should be making this dua. And even, I mean, you can do this before or after as well. Basically, the dua is, God, Rabbi, awzi'ni. My Lord, grant me the enablement to thank you for your bounties that you've put over, given to me and my parents. So he's remembering his parents and he is being grateful to his parents and he's telling Allah that I want to be grateful to you for what you've given to me and my parents. And then number two, that I continue to do good deeds. I don't mess up at this age thinking that I've wasted my last 20 years. And then people get divorced at that age, people do some crazy things at that age, right? Um, so no, I want to do good deeds that you're satisfied with. Now to think of the future, I want you to reform for me my progeny. Not just my children, but my children forever until the day of judgment. And I return to you, meaning I make tawbah and repentance, and I am of the Muslimin, and I am of the ones who submit to you. This is, should be these five or six things that he just mentioned here. This is what should be our attitude around at the age of 18. Before as well, but there, this is where we should take a moment and we should think about it. And that will, inshallah, help us to determine. Because when you get to the age of 40, it's like you've got to the peak of your life. You look at the back. And if it's not very useful and whatever, then you feel like you want to make some changes. And sometimes some people make some crazy changes. Lots of people get divorced at this age. Lots of people have affairs at this age. Lots of people buy, go out and start weird businesses and uh, take gambles at this age and things like that. That's why you have to be very careful about it. Right. Now the second one is mentioned. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions about this person that... Uh, with these kind of people, we're going to accept the best of their deeds and we're going to forgive their bad deeds. They will be people of paradise. And this is the truth. And now the second example is provided from verse 17 and 18. Is the one who says his, his parents are believers. He doesn't want to be a believer. right? He doesn't want to be on faith. So he says to his parents, Uffin lakuma. You know the word that you're not supposed to say to your like Uff, uff. Like, you know, what the heck, what the hell, whatever you would say today, for, you know, people would say today. Are you telling me, and then he laughs at them, are you telling me that I'm going to come back, basically, even though so many people have come from before me, nobody's come back? And basically, they're trying, they are trying their best to try to 
um, get him to come on board and believe. They're saying to him, woe be upon you, just believe. It's good for you, believe, do the right thing. But subhanAllah, some children just don't get it because their minds aren't formed yet to understand uh, what they're getting into. Inna wa'dallahi haq. Allah's promise is true. They're trying to tell his ch- uh, the, the child. فَيَقُولُ مَا هَذَا إِلَّا أَسَاطِيرُ الْأَوَّلِينَ No, no, the, these are just all أَسَاطِيرُ الْأَوَّلِينَ These are just stories made up of the past people. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions such people, then he carries on. Now, the reason why this surah is called Suratul Ahqaf, Ahqaf. Ahqaf means sand dunes, winding um, uh, sand passes, something to do with that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then in verse 21 says, remember your brother Ad, uh, sorry, وَذْكُرْ أَخَا Ad. remember the brother of Ad, basically the prophet, right? And uh, th- this speaks then about... Uh, Hud alayhi salam, he is basically, he is the prophet of the Ad. إِذْ أَنْذَرَ قَوْمَهُ بِالْأَحْقَافِ When he warned his people at Ahqaf, in these rolling hills. And because that's a quite a unique verse, I don't think it's ever been, it's not used much in the Quran at all. They've called the surah with that name. وَقَدْ خَلَتِ النُّذْرُ مِنْ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَمِنْ خَلْفِ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا اللَّهِ So basically he's telling them to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And these Ahqaf people, were, mashallah, Allah had given them lots of bounties and lots of gifts. And the way they were destroyed was that several days they had of intense heat until they couldn't bear it any longer. And then after that, suddenly they see a cloud coming up. So here you go. And the Prophet finally tells him, Huda finally tells him, look, I'm, I'm just going to convey to you what Allah has mentioned. فَلَمَّا رَأُوهُ عَارِضًا مُسْتَقْبِلَ أَوْدِيَتِهِمْ When they saw that cloud then suddenly come within their locality, they all ran out. They all ran out. The mashallah, we're going to get some rain finally. قَالُوا هَذَا عَارِضٌ مُمْطِرُنَا This is a cloud that's going to give us rain. بَلْ هُوَ مَسْتَعْجَلْتُمْ No, this is what you are rushing to receive of the punishment. رِيحٌ فِيهَا عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ No, this is a severe wind. Right, in which there's an, there is a severe punishment. So then a huge wind blew, and it literally mentions that they were taken up, like, you know when you have numerous insects, and they're just taken up, and they're just flung around, and they all died. تُدَمِّرُ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ That would just destroy everything, annihilate everything بِأَمْرِ رَبِّهَا With the command of its Lord. فَأَصْبَحُوا لَا يُرَى إِلَّا مَسَاكِنُهُمْ What's interesting is, when the morning came, the only thing that could be then seen were their abodes because they were very strong people, but they were very arrogant about their strength because of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given them. They thought that nobody, because they were compared to a lot of other people in the world at the time, they were very strong. And that just led them to arrogance. That's why the belief in the hereafter is so important. Belief in the hereafter is the antidote to arrogance, to basically excessiveness in everything. I mean, we don't have the time to... Th- to really deal with that in depth here, but you can just think about it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, look, I gave them everything, but then they did not listen and so on. And uh, thereafter, the surah, um, it carries on with a number of other um, evidences of the heavens and the earth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that we can resurrect anybody that we want again. And the last verse is, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam being told, and us being told, you know, uh, when we have difficulties, fasbir kama sabra azmi min rusul be patient, just like the high resolution, uh, the, the 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 messengers of high resolution, right? They were patient, and um, uh, he mentions fahal yuhlaku illa al fasiqun. I mean, it's only the it's only the transgressors that are going to be destroyed. Okay, alhamdulillah, we finished that surah and I think I've covered everything that I needed to cover in there, uh, especially the, the special dua, remember that, in verse 15, about around the age 40 and midlife crisis. The next surah is a beautiful surah that I thoroughly enjoy reading all the time. It's very unique in its rhythm. It's totally different. Pretty much all the verses end with hum or kum. 
Amazing. The whole thing is hum ukum. So I'll just read you a few. وَالَّذِينَ قُتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ فَلَنْ يُضِلَّ أَعْمَالَهُمْ سَيَهْدِيهِمْ وَيُصْلِحُ بَالَهُمْ وَيُدْخِلُهُمُ الْجَنَّةَ عَرَّفَهَا لَهُمْ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِنْ تَنْصُرُوا اللَّهَ يَنْصُرْكُمْ وَيُثَبِّتْ أَقْدَامَكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فَتَعْسَلْ لَهُمْ وَأَضَلَّ أَعْمَالَهُمْ ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ كَرِهُوا مَا أَنْزَلَ اللَّهُ فَأَحْبَطَ أَعْمَالَهُمْ Then in verse after that, the one missing, ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّ اللَّهَ مَوْلَى الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَأَنَّ الْكَافِرِينَ لَا مَوْلَى لَهُمْ So pretty much that is the rhythm of it all the way and it's a very fast-paced. It has, it's a small surah. In general, it has 38 verses, four sections, very fast-paced. And the main topic of it, it's called Surah to Muhammad. And one of the reasons why it's called Muhammad is because it's got the name Muhammad وسلم, by name mentioned in here, in the second verse. He starts off with those who disbelieve and who uh, prevent from the path of Allah, their actions are all gone. Right? Their actions are going to amount to nothing. Those people who believe and do good deeds and believe in what has been revealed slowly, slowly upon Muhammad وسلم, that is the haqq from their Lord. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will remove from them the evil deeds and He will reform their state. So that is how the discussion begins. But then soon after, it jumps into the main topic, which is throughout. And that is why the, another name uh, for this surah, aside from Surah to Muhammad, is Surah Al Qital, the surah of war, the surah of fighting, the surah of war, because it's got numerous laws and uh, rulings related to laws taking prisoners and so on. That's why this is a Madani surah with 30 verses. Uh, after a lot of Makki surahs, all the Hamims or Makki surahs, we start now with a Madani surah, so you're going to expect some rulings here. The first uh, set you see here is. In verse 4, Now when you do get into a war, then make sure that you do war well. Basically that's what he's saying. Then make sure that you basically strike the next. Right? So when you're in a war, then you don't mess around. Then you do the correct thing and you do the right thing, right? which is what you're there for. Now after that, it mentions that if you are to take any prisoners, then what should you do with that? What should you do with them? So he gives a few options. Okay? He gives a few options and... The options it provides is, number one, you can either let them go. Just be nice and let them go because maybe you don't fear that they're going to harm you again. Just let them go. They just got into there, whatever. You let them go. Number two is get them to pay a ransom and free them on a ransom. So it'll make them pay for it. Number three is you can uh, exchange them for your own prisoner. So you can do a prisoner swap. Number four, which is not mentioned here clearly, but the other option was that they would make them slaves. Now, this isn't the time to get into slavery, but just a few basic ideas that in Islam, slavery, uh, Islam came and inherited slavery as it was there. Um, there's no obligation to make slaves at all. You have to remember that. There's no obligation. That's why in many of the recent wars, even Muslims have won, they have not made slaves except some crazy people. Sometimes they've done that, right? Like in the recent past. Um, the, 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 the point to make here is that in Islam, slavery is considered to be um, t- where you first bring them up uh, into you, you first bring them up and you allow, you you help them basically uh, get some respect. That's why there's huge huge encouragement of freeing slaves in Islam. Huge encouragement of freeing slaves in Islam. You make a little mistake, uh, you know, you break your fast, you uh, say something weird to your wife or whatever, you free a slave. And there's huge, uh, you feed them in the same way, same way, and so on and so forth. We've had so many ulama, right? Um, from dream interpreters, mufassirs of the Quran, muhaddithin that were originally slaves, children of slaves. So in Islam, slavery has never stopped anybody from rising. It's a very totally different contrasting picture of what slavery in the West looked like about a hundred years ago. Totally different. All right? And uh, to such a degree that in some of the regimes we had, like for example, towards the end of the Abbasid regime, they had slaves in high positions. After Mu'tasim Billah, they had slaves in high In fact, the, the Seljuks, they had a lot. Then the Mamluk, the entire dynasty, ruling dynasty for like a few hundred years that finally, you know, had their last abode, I think, in Egypt, 
all right, who were then basically taken over by Muhammad Ali Basha in Egypt, um, the, the, the Ottomans in general. Uh, before that, they were all slaves. The Mamluk dynasty, the Circassian Mamluk dynasty, they were all originally slaves. So even in Islam, you've actually had slaves that have risen to becoming the rulers of the Muslim community and even the Khalifs as such, right, who declared for themselves Khilafah, right, away from the Abbasid Caliphate afterwards or before it. So that's just the basic discussion and that's why what we have is we have for example uh, Abdurrahman ibn Auf radiyallahu anhu I mean he must have freed I don't know about 30,000 slaves or more just one individual that's how many slaves there's a huge encouragement in Islam to look after slaves the other thing that I want to mention is that Muhammad the name Muhammad is not mentioned much throughout the Quran but it's mentioned in at least four places one was in Surah Ali Imran uh, we read we went through that Surah Al-Ahzab there's another one in Surah Al-Ahzab there's one in Surah Muhammad and there's one in Surah Al-Fatih then he's mentioned as Ahmed in another surah that we'll be, that we'll be looking at soon, Surah Al-Saf, insha'Allah. These are the four places everywhere else. Um, he is, uh, the Prophet ﷺ generally addressed with Ya Ayyuhan Nabiyu, uh, ya, ya, uh, or Rasul, or um, some other uh, characteristic of his. Right, if we, if we now move on to verse 7, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises, Ya Ayyuhan Ladina Amanu in Tansurullah. So when you're in a battle situation, in any other kind of difficult situation like that, Allah is saying, O oh people who believe, if you assist Allah, meaning if you assist His deen, if you do the right thing for His deen sincerely for the sake of His deen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to assist you and He's going to make you firm in your posture. He's going to settle your feet. He's going to strengthen your, 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 your standing. Which means that you will not waver and you will actually get more him even though you're a bit scared in the beginning. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will strengthen you just like he strengthened Musa alayhi salam even though he was frightened when it came to the magicians in front of him and so on. And then Allah mentions beautiful verse 11. This is because uh, he's talking about don't they travel the earth and see the destruction of all of those who did not believe in Allah and so on. And then Allah mentions like a clinching passage here. That is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the patron and the one who looks after those who believe and the kafirin have nobody to look after them just worldly people to look after nobody from the heavens so that's why even in battle of uhud when abu sufyan started after their bit of a you know their, their, their comeback he started saying things to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the prophet told him to respond that say that um uh, Allah is our mawla, wala mawla lakum, and you have no mawla. We at least have somebody who takes care of us, and that's why He will look after us. Now, there's uh, from verse 12, there's a depiction of paradise. It's beautiful, right? Unfortunately, we can't enjoy it today. You'll have to enjoy it yourself in your own reading. But I just want to point out one verse from which is verse 15. The example of the paradise or the gardens that have been promised to the people of, uh, uh, to, to, the, uh, to the to the muttaqeen, to the righteous ones. There are four lakes in there. So this is the four lakes of paradise that are mentioned in here. The four streams, the beautiful streams. One is of just pure water. Another one is of pure milk. Which, which I mean, imagine leaving milk out for a while. I mean, it's going to go bad. This is pure milk that has no bacteria in there. Right? It just cannot go bad. It's just fresh for the drinking. It's like a beautiful fountain that you can take from any time. And then after that, it's beautiful honey. Right? Pure, pure honey. Right? And the other one it talks about is pure wine that will not make you lose your... Uh, that, that will not intoxicate. This is like you get the pure taste of wine, whatever that is. Right? I've never tasted it. Right? But there must be something in it that people enjoy that taste of grapes or whatever the case is. Stringency, I don't know what it is, but here it's going to be It's going to be a very, very tasty, pleasurable wine, but it will not intoxicate. And Allah is then saying they're also going to get maghfirah and forgiveness from their Lord. Can they be like the one who's going to be forever in hellfire and is going to be given extremely hot, boiling water to drink, which is going to basically decimate his, uh, his insides? All right, that carries on. There's a number of other. Issues now. Lots of discussion here about the munafiqin, right? Lots of discussion about the munafiqin because remember they used to demoralize the Muslim army. They used to sometimes go with them and then come back. 
They used to spread rumors. They used to sometimes just refuse to go. They used to say, no, don't go there. You're just going to lose and things like that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this surah also talks about spending in the path of Allah. Right? Spending in the path of Allah is discussion because when you're at war, you need a lot of money. Because otherwise there's no income at that time. Right? Until after the war and if you win, you get the booty and so on. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about them. Uh, for example, look at verse 29. Uh, and and uh, do disputes like that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they're never going to harm Allah they're never going to harm Allah remember that so be obedient to Allah and his messenger at the end of the day the life is just play life is just amusement right um, your real reward is in the hereafter and that's why the final thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about bukhl this is where he talks about bukhl in the Quran Whoever is uh, miserly, he's only going to be miserly to the detriment of themselves. Because Wallahu al-Ghani, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is enriched, wealthy, independent. You're the ones who are needy. And this is the final message, the final verse 38. If you retract, if you go back, you don't listen and you don't take part, Allah will just bring another people. Allah will just change you for somebody else. And they will not be like you then. If you mess around and you're corrupt, Allah will take you away and you don't listen. He will take you away and bring somebody else who will be much better than you. That's how it, be, that's how it ends. So, we now move on to Surah Al-Fatih, which is very complementary to the first, uh, to the Surah Muhammad. This is also Madinan Surah. And this is about a very particular event. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is as it's a Madini Surah with 29 verses and uh, four sections. And this, you need, to know, you need to know the events leading up to this because it's a very particular event and you won't understand the surah if you don't know the event. So let us spend some time with the event. So this is about Hudaybiyah, which many of you may have already, uh, you know, may have already read about the events of Hudaybiyah. Essentially what happened is, Allahu Akbar, as uh, this surah actually came down after, after the event of Hudaybiyah. So what is the event of Hudaybiyah? Bukhari Imam Bukhari, Imam Tirmidhi and many others relate from Umar ibn al-Khattab anhu, that the Prophet once mentioned to them that, you know, at night I saw a dream, right? No, at night time there was a, not a, he saw the dream but that was afterwards, I, there was a surah that was revealed to me. And this surah is more beloved to me than the dunya, the world and everything within it. Such a beautiful surah, right? It's more beloved to me. And that's this surah, Inna Fatahna. This is a very beautiful surah, um, a beloved surah to Allah subhanahu, uh, to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So then he, re- then he recited the first few verses. Inna Fatahna laka fatham mubina liyafira laka Allahu ma taqaddama min thambika wa ma taakhara wa yutimma ni'matahu alayka wa yahdiyaka siratan mustaqeema wa yansuraka Allahu nasran aziza. And it's, it's, about, it's all about victory. Fath means victory. So uh, we've given you the clear victory. Now this he said at a time when it seemed like they were at a disadvantage. So what exactly happened? The Prophet ﷺ saw a dream while he's in Medina Munawwara that they are entering Makkah Mukarramah and they're doing tawaf of the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he presented this, uh, he presented this dream in front of the Sahaba and they decided then that in the Dhul Qa'dah Dhul Qa'dah, Dhul Hijjah, um, uh, Dhul Qa'dah before Dhul Hijjah, sixth, sixth Hijri, right? Two, three years before the conquest of Makkah. So there were about 14 or 1500 Sahaba that he took with him, and they decided, let's go for Umrah, right? Let's go for Umrah. So they left, they departed. They had no, they, had, they, were, they didn't even have the weapons with them. They, they were not, in fact, they were told not to take too many weapons with them because it was to show that they were not here to war. We're here literally just to do Umrah, just to visit the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do the tawaf and then we're going to leave again. Right? That was it. Bishr ibn Sufyan, he told him as they, were, they departed and they were a bit at a distance, he was told by Bishr ibn Sufyan that the people of Makkah have actually 
learnt of the departing of the Muslims and they're actually getting ready for war, right? So they're, they're not going to let you in, they're going to have a war. So the Prophet ﷺ, that wasn't his intention, so he sent Uthman radiallahu anhu. He had good ties because he was a trader, he had good ties with some of the leaders of Makkah. So he sent him, right, that go and sort, you know, just explain to them, we're not here to war, we're here literally just to do Umrah and that's not our intention is not to fight with you. So Uthman radiallahu anhu went, but immediately, very soon afterwards, there was a rumor that went around that Uthman has been killed by them. Right, now the Prophet they're all angry that our envoy has been killed. You don't kill envoys. I mean, that's kind of the international rule, historical law. So the, there was a tree, right? There was a tree that the Prophet gathered under. And he, at that point, took a very special pledge, a very unique pledge on that we're going to fight till the end and we're not going to retreat until we basically deal with this situation. And, that's, and this became known as the bay'ah. Bay'ah means the pledge. Bay'atul Ridwan. Why it's called Ridwan? Ridwan means happiness and satisfaction. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah had revealed in verse 10, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُبَايِعُونَكَ إِنَّمَا يُبَايِعُونَ اللَّهِ Those who gave you the pledge till death basically, the pledge, the pledge for jihad, qital, then they have pledged to Allah directly. They're not just pledging to you, they're actually pledging to Allah. Allah's hand is above their hand. So why? Because when you take a pledge, you generally hold hands, you know, with the one you're taking pledge with, the Prophet ﷺ, so he made them all take the pledge. And Allah is saying, Allah's hand was above their hand. Subhanallah. So it became known as Bay'atul Ridwan. And this whole matter became known as the Hudaybiyah matter, right? Which I'll explain. But it became called the Bay'atul Ridwan. And those people who are in the Bay'atul Ridwan, they hold a special place because they had given their life for the Prophet ﷺ. However, alhamdulillah, later it became clear that Uthman had not been killed and this was just a mere rumor. So after that, they started a discussion. After a bit of back and forth, they started a discussion uh, for a treaty, actually. This was a good opportunity. They'd been fighting for a while. Now let's make a treaty with the people of Makkah. So um, a, a person called Suhail ibn Amr, Right, there were a few other people the Prophet had a discussion with, and then Suhail ibn Amr, who was one of the leaders of the Quraysh, he actually became Muslim later on, right? and his son was Muslim. So he came on their behalf to discuss. So as soon as he came in, the Prophet said, okay, the matter is easy for us now. He took a good omen from his name. Suhail comes from the word Sahal, which means ease. Now, inshallah, the matter is made easy because Suhail has come. He used to do that quite a bit. If there was a harsh sounding, it would, would change those names. And if it was a good thing, he would, he would encourage a good omen. So finally, the agreement was that they would not be able to come in then, that year. They could come later, the next year. So they'd have to go back. You know, that's one way to, for the Quraysh to save face, I guess. Number two, for 10 years, they would actually have a peace treaty. So there's going to be a ceasefire. There's going to be no more warfare. There's going to be peace treaty for 10 years. All right? Now, there were some, we don't, can't go into all of it, but there's a whole huge hadith about this that you can read in the tafsirs and in Bukhari, etc., Essentially, there were some aspects of it that if anybody from Makkah came, the Prophet as a Muslim, the Prophet was not allowed to let them come to Medina Munawwara. If anybody from Medina, Medina Munawwara went to Makkah and wanted to go and join with them, they could do that. They would be allowed to settle there. So it sounded very disadvantageous. Okay, it sounded very disadvantageous. And that's why even Umar, he actually said, you know, we are ready to fight. What's going on? How come you've agreed to this? You know, and the Prophet said, don't worry about it. Right? And that's why, a lot, uh, that's why when the Prophet ﷺ then finally returned to Medina Munawwara with all of that and some people were feeling really bad about it, this surah came down and said that, look, in disguise, this is, actually a, this is actually a victory for you. And slowly, slowly you'll realize that this is a victory for you. So, the way it became a victory, several different ways. And we don't have the time to go into it right now, but there was one person who had come from Makkah Mukarramah, leaders of, uh, sorry, a, t a, a son of one of the leaders, and he'd become a Muslim, but he wasn't allowed to come into Medina Munawwara. So what he did was he went to Siaful Bahr, right? This particular area at the end edge of the sea, right? And that's where lots of other people like him began to settle, all right? And they started causing problems to the people of Makkah. 
So they became a thorn until they realized that we've made a mistake. We should have allowed them to go to Medina. At least the Prophet ﷺ will abide by his, his peace treaty and he won't cause us any trouble. And then some, several other things happened and eventually what happened is that there was a tribe that was aligned to the people of Makkah that aggressed against a tribe uh, that were aligned to the Prophet ﷺ. And basically that's when the conquest of Makkah eventually after two years or so took place. That's why in the year 8 Hijri when the... When the opening of Makkah took place, as, you know, the Prophet ﷺ had, as I mentioned, only about 13, 14, 1500 people with him in Hudaybiyah, where that peace t- treaty took place. Now he ends up with 10,000, right? So when he goes into Makkah, he's got 10,000 people with him, right? And that was the benefit that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that they were going to get uh, based on this glad tiding that he provided in this surah. That's why this surah was beloved to the Prophet ﷺ because it told him that eventually you're going to get back to Makkah, you're going to take Makkah, and that was his homeland originally. You see, the, the, one of the reasons why this was, another, this was a victory is because uh, after this peace treaty, trade began again. So now, because of the several years of problems in between, trade had stopped between them and so on, now a lot of the disbelievers were able to observe the Muslims very carefully. They knew these people, some of these people had been wild individuals, you know, drinkers and uh, basically just, just uncouth individuals. And now look at them, they're so respectful, they're so respectable, they're so dignified, and they're on to something. And that is one of the biggest effects, that is one of the biggest you can say da'wah you can make. So because of that as well, so many people became Muslim. And during that time, so many others, Islam kept, came into their heart, but they weren't able to, they weren't able to bring faith yet. That's going to happen when we talk about إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ right? One of the last surahs, right? Where after the conquest of Makkah, when Makkah was taken and they saw that no punishment from God came, because remember, Makkah was special for everybody. Abraha, he was destroyed by Allah when he tried to attack Makkah. But when the Prophet took it over very easily, now they realize that Islam must be true. So then that's when they entered into Islam fully. So um, a number of other discussions take place here. And I think um, the, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's satisfaction is mentioned in verse 18. لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ I mean, this is where Allah just showers his satisfaction, his praise. And talk, look at Allah is so satisfied with the believers when they يعونك, you know when they gave you that pledge under that tree. Right? He wants to make it very specific. He knew what's in their heart. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave sakina to them. He caused tranquility to descend upon them and he gave them basically the the, the huge victory. The uh, and وَمَغَانِمَ كَثِيرَةً يَأْخُذُونَ And they're going to ha- have huge amounts of, bu- uh, of uh, war uh, spoils and everything else. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them a lot of promises in all of that. And then of course he takes to task some of those people who uh, used to uh, stop people from, uh, from going in and uh, try to di- uh, cause distraction to the believers, the munafiqeen basically. right? And that's why Allah says in verse... 26 and all of these others uh, other verses the final verses of these are very prominent verses that you would uh, you would know about um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 27 Allah uh, remember the dream that the Prophet saw it says here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will confirm the Prophet dream Right? You will surely and certainly enter into Masjid al-Haram if Allah wills, safely. Either with your head shaved for your, your umrah, right? Or your hair cut, right? Uh, after your umrah. Don't fear. Allah knows what you do not know. So He's giving comfort to those who felt that this was disadvantageous. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is promising over and over again. That's why it's called Surah Al-Fath because that is discussed so many times. And finally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He is the one who sent His messenger to you with guidance and the right, right being, right? so that it can eventually dominate all other religions. And Allah is sufficient witness to this. And already today, Islam has dominated all religions in terms of proof, historicity, comprehensiveness answers to many of the maladies of the world. No other religion has that. It's all false pretenses. Islam is very comprehensive to the modern mind in that regard. 
And then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Muhammadur Rasulullah. Beautiful. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Then Allah praises the Sahaba. And He says, those who are with Him, right? Ashidda'u al-kufar. When it comes to battle, they are severe. Right? They do their part. They play their, they, they do their battle very well. But ruhama'u baynahum. They are extremely merciful between themselves. Now, they, they, they don't have post-traumatic stress disorder. Right? These people, they know exactly when to fight and when not to fight. They're not people who will come back crazy and do crazy things. All right? Whether they're Muslim or non-Muslim. These are good people. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means. And He mentions a number of examples and so on. And uh, that's how it finally ends. That this is a, a Allah's promise to the people who believe and do good deeds. Allah has promised them basically uh, forgiveness. And a huge reward. Please do read this for yourself to enjoy it further. See, uh, just one more point I want to mention. If you look at verse 11 to 14, uh, it says that the munafiqeen, they, when, when, the, when the believers were leaving, they thought they're going to die and they're not going to come back. So half they were kind of getting happy that good riddance. So he's saying, Allah calls them out. He says, You thought that the messenger uh, and the believers are never going to come back to their families. Right? That became like the, the beautiful thought in your heart. Right? That was something you were getting very excited about. And you uh, entertained many different ideas and plans. But you're a destroyed people. So uh, th- that, that's something to, pro- uh, to promise that. Don't, don't ever... Um, di- um, d- don't ever distract people from good things, right? If you can't do it yourself. Now let us move on to Suratul Hujarat. We've still got a lot to do. Suratul Hujarat, Allahu Akbar, is got so many rulings. Hujarat is the plural of Hujra, which means the room, and this is in reference to the rooms of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The Desert Arabs, a lot of the Bedouins are being discussed in this surah. Essentially what used to happen is they used to come and just like in their way from outside their tents or wherever they lived in, in, in the uh, outside in the deserts, they would just call out, Oh Muhammad, help us out. We need you. We need to talk to you. So this one, this uh, surah has another name. While it's called Suratul Hujurat, rooms or chambers, it's also called the Suratul Akhlaq Wal Adab. The surah of character and etiquette Because there's so many etiquettes that are going to be mentioned in here So let me just quickly go through them It starts off by saying, oh people who believe Ya ayyuhaladheena aman We mentioned several times here Because it's in Madin and surah Telling the people of, of belief, true belief what to do Oh people who believe, do not Essentially don't try to surpass And go over the Prophet In your rulings and so on If you don't get something Ask him Don't try to make it up for yourself That is kind of the gist of what he's saying here Then it says Do not raise your voice Above the voice of the Prophet Be calm about it There's several incidents Of how some of the Sahaba Even interpreted this There was one Sahabi Who had a very loud voice And he just stopped speaking for a while Like I'm scared Right So this was mainly focused on these um, Uncouth People that used to come in who are half munafiq or whatever, some of them, um, and so on. And then the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Allah subhanahu wa taala is uh, talking. So that's why even today, when we're by the grave of the Prophet sallallahu because we believe the Prophet sallallahu is alive, we do not raise our voice there. That's why I get really perturbed when sometimes some of those people who are standing there, you know, say things to people. I mean, and not do it nicely, where they tell people to stop doing this. I mean, sometimes people do do crazy things down there, but then sometimes those people do get a bit. Uh, a bit over energetic, uh, a bit overzealous, and, and they should be careful about that. And I've just always think that, subhanAllah, when people like Hudayfi and others, when they're reciting the Quran by the grave of the Prophet, and the Prophet is listening to them, what an amazing honor that is. Allahu Akbar. What an amazing honor that is. Anyway, the, the people are being told to be calm, that the person will come out to you, and then that would be better for you rather than trying to rush him out and so on. And now a very prominent verse, verse 6, keep this in mind. O people who believe, if a, a non-righteous, transgressor, disbeliever, a, a sinner comes to you with any bit of information, then make sure that you verify it. Just so that you don't attack somebody, you don't uh, attack somebody through ignorance, and then after that you become very regretful. I mean, that... WhatsApp forwards. This is a this is a Quranic verse for that. Don't just forward everything you receive, right? Don't just forward everything you receive. Uh, 
and be very careful about what the media says. Right? All these various media outlets, I mean, I don't have to name them. They're, they're more than fasiqeen, right? They're more than basically transgressors. They're there just to make a buck out of, you know, drama and about uh, sensationalism. So be very careful. Don't just follow things. I mean, don't be like the normal Tim Doc, uh, Tom, Dick and Harry who just forwards things on or believes everything they, they read or hear. And then it says that uh, in the next verse, verse 7, that know that you have the messenger of Allah in you, with you and if he was to follow you in a lot of the stuff that you just talk about, then you know, it, it would be very difficult. You know, you'd be, he would be harmed. I mean, he can't follow you in everything that he says. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's talking to the Sahaba now that Allah has made Iman beloved in your heart and he's adorned it in your hearts. And he's made disbelief despicable in your sight. And likewise, transgressionary is despicable in your sight, and these are the guided ones. If you have that kind of a feeling, then inshallah, according to this, we are believers. This is a fadl from Allah. Now, because it's all about adab and akhlaq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions some social etiquette. That sometimes what's going to happen is because of small things that might happen, a rumor may be spread, and because of that people, see, it's all very connected. A rumor may be spread. And you don't careful about uh, what you hear, and you just then act upon, jump to conclusions. And then you act upon what is being said, just like that, you may end up fighting with your own brothers. Right? So that discussion is there that try to first calm it down, try to re reform it. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't get reformed, then those who are on the wrong, you can actually fight against them. But at the end of the day, remember that your believers are all brothers. That's a very important verse, verse 10. So try to reform uh, the, the relationships between your brothers and have taqwa so that you can, be, uh, you can have mercy. After that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us a number of ways. And that's why anybody who's got this kind of aggressive attitude, anybody who's generally getting into tiffs and disputes and things like that, they should read this carefully because there are several laws that are mentioned in here in the next verses. Right from verse 11 onwards. Allah says, number one, don't mock one another. Right? Uh, men should not mock men, women, whatever. Nobody should mock anybody. It's very likely and possible that they actually, they may be better than you in the sight of Allah. Number two, you should not curse people and accuse people and things like that. You should not basically make up wrong names for people. Right? You should not uh, make bad nicknames for people um, and, and so on. And uh, Allah says, well, whoever doesn't repent from this, then these are the people who are oppressors. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that avoid conjecture, avoid speculation, avoid evil thoughts. Some people just naturally are like that. They need to get help. All right? And others, sometimes you have to remember, shaitan causes a huge issue. And that's why, Some of your thoughts are pure sin. They'll just lead you to sin. Then Allah says, beyond that, you know, just to verify things, don't go and spy. The spying is mentioned. Don't go and spy. And then, to add to that, do not make ghibah to one another. Do not backbite one another. And then, because backbiting is so bad, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 13 explains all the evils of backbiting. So look at what he says. He says, do you want to eat your brother's flesh? People don't eat human flesh. We're not cannibals. Backbiting is like eating a human flesh. Not just any human, but your own brother's flesh. When would you ever do that? Right? Um, uh, and number two, your brother who's dead. So it's just... Evil upon evil upon evil, despicable nature, absolutely. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions another reason why you might argue. So then he, because this is what a lot of people argue in the world about, right? Your color, your tribe, your ethnicity. So Allah says in verse 13, we created you all from a mother and a father. And then we made you, you split you up into tribes and clans and things like that, so that you can gain some recognition from one another in terms of your traits and your customs and things. That's just for your benefit. What really matters to Allah, the most benevolent to the one, uh, to, in the sight of Allah, is the one who's most righteous. Not who has more this or who's from this certain family and whatever. Again, this is a verse that would calm down so many of the problems we have in many parts of the Muslim world, if only people can listen. Then talking to some of these de desert Arabs who had openly brought faith, but inside they weren't fully there yet. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling them that, tell, uh, that the Arab, the desert Arabs say that we believe, i.e. inside. So no, you do not fully believe yet inside. Because just instead say aslamna, say we are Muslim, like outwardly expressing our faith. Because Iman has not entered your heart yet. 
Then Allah explains who the real believers are in verse 15, that the real believers are those who believe in Allah and the Messenger, and then they're not doubtful ever, they have no doubt at all. I mean, a lot of these people still had doubt because they, they were not fully into Islam, and that's why they had doubt. That's why Allah is saying they don't doubt, and they basically strive and do jihad with their wealth and their lives in the path of Allah, and these are the truthful people. And then after that, it carries on and, and says that you must... Uh, you, you must um, uh, thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you know you are believers and so on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the unseen matters of the heavens and the earth and Allah is absolutely vigilant over what you do and by that we end the surah al-hujurat I've already pointed out the, the main verses in there I pretty much point out the whole thing because it was all very very relevant very direct and, and law, so read it over again so that inshallah you can uh, you can be benefit from it more. That's why the Prophet ﷺ once in a hadith he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has removed from you all of these weird ideas of jahiliyyah, all the ways that you would basically become arrogant against one another, all of that, and, and uh, you're taking pride and boasting about your fathers over one another, all of that Allah has khatam, Allah has ended it. So at the end of the day now it's all going to be about taqwa. Now let's start Surah Qaf. Surah Qaf is, the, is a surah that you recite in the darkness of the night. I remember we, we went on a retreat to the San Bernardino Mountains, which is just off to the side, uh, outside LA. And it was nighttime and basically the one guy in the front, he, he led us right through the woods. It was just complete darkness. I think he had a light and basically it was just leading us and we were just following one another in absolute darkness just to get into the nature. And then we stopped somewhere and then I had to deliver Surah Qaf. And it's amazing reflection. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses various different evidences to explain the importance of Iman, the importance of the life of the hereafter, the fickleness of this world, the challenges that will, people will face on the Day of Judgment, how anybody that you thought were your friends and that were doing good things for you, they will not be able to avoid, avoid you, uh, uh, avail you on that day. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the arguments that will place, take place on that day that, hey, we didn't, you know, um, we, we didn't uh, lead you uh, 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 astray, right? We didn't lead you astray. You know, we, we weren't holding you down. It's up to you. You did it. That you, it was you that did it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions in verse 18, saying how aware Allah is, that it doesn't matter any statement you make, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there, which basically means ever watchful and ever prepared. Right? Allah never, forget the angels, even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always, and even the angels, this could be referring to uh, angels and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always right fully vigilant Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says before that in verse 16 we created the insan we created the human being we know exactly what their what their soul is whispering what their heart is saying what they're saying in turn the internal discourse should I do that shouldn't I do that I should do that in plotting whatever Allah knows it because and this is that famous verse, verse 18, uh, 16, Because we're closer to the human being, being than their jugular vein. Before that, it was all discussions about the various different Lut, salam's people and all the others, Ashabul Aika, Qawmu Tubba, Ashabul Ras, Thamud, and their destruction because of what they did and so on. Thereafter, the, you know, from verse 20 onwards, it's all about... Uh, the, the, the trumpet being blown, the day of judgment occurring, and then very graphic discourses of what happens on that day. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sounds a really, a really horrif you know, re really uh, terrifying uh, words. He says in verse, 20, uh, in verse 30 actually, يَوْمَ نَقُولُ لِجَهَنَّمْ The day when we'll say to the hellfire, هَلِمْ تَلَأْتِ Are you filled yet? وَتَقُولُ هَلْ No, give me more, give me more, is there more? But then, Immediately afterwards, Allah brings about the believers. But Jannah, paradise, would be brought close to the muttaqeen. It won't be too far away. This is what you were promised. Those who fear Allah, fear Rahman, unseen. Our faith is about the unseen. You can't see everything in our faith. When you give sadaqah, you know unseen that you're going to get a, re you're going to get a response by, from Allah for that. 
It's not about interest that you can see your capital is guaranteed and you get interest on top. These are the people who come with this repentant heart. May Allah give us, make us one of those. Again, enter now paradise with absolute safety and peace. And then again, Allah goes back to discussing those people who are stronger than the people of Makkah, right? And they, they were much more stronger. They had more wealth than you and everything, and they were destroyed. Then Allah mentioned something about the creation. We created the heavens and earth and everything in between in six days. We were not tired from this. Uh, we were not fatigued by this. So now you be, make sabr. You make sabr now. You, know, you make sabr about what they say and praise your Lord uh, before uh, the sun rises in the morning and before ghurub, before it sets. So this is verse 39. You can see then from the night as well, praise your Lord. Uh, and وَأَدْبَارَ sujood And after your prostrations... And so on. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says right at the end, فَذَكِّرْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مَنْ يَخَافُ وَعِيدٌ You give a reminder through the Qur'an to those who fear our warnings. Those are the people who are going to benefit from the Qur'an. Because Allah says, نَحْنُ عَالَمُ بِمَا يَقُولُ In the last verse, we know exactly what they're saying. وَمَا أَنْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِجَبَّارِ You can't force them. You can't compel them. Like you don't have the ability to compel them. That's up to Allah. So just give guidance and nasiha and advice to those who are concerned about the, the Day of Judgment. So Surah Qaf is a Makki Surah, right? Uh, as you can see already, right? 45 verses and split into four sections. Again, some of the most basic aspects uh, we've just covered, they've been mentioned in there. Resurrection is uh, another discussion which we didn't do, but you can see all of... Uh, I've basically covered pretty much everything in there. There's a lot of prominent verses in there which I have mentioned that you can really focus on. But again, one day, take a translation of this, make it dark so you can only see this, and just sit down with a clear mind, focus on Allah and read this, and you will be in tears in no time. You will be in tears in no time when you reflect over everything that Allah is saying to you. It's a very, very... Very, very sensitive, very emotive discussion that's taking place in there. Finally, the last chapter we have is Surah Al-Dhariyat. Another thing that I want to point out is Surah Qaf. If you look at the beginning of Surah Qaf, it resembles, the beginning of it resembles in several verses and in the way its style is to Surah Sad, which we've already covered. So check out Surah Sad. And Surah Al-Qaf, and those who are half is already know this, that there's fa, wa differences, um, and ajib, and uh, uh, what do you call it? Bal-ajib and faqal al-kafirun, waqal al-kafirun, and some people could get confused between the two. But that's an interesting point to look into as to the difference. One starts with the sad, one starts with the qaf. On the Day of Judgment, we'll find out, inshallah, in the hereafter what sad and qaf meant, and we can then see what the similarity is then. Right, until then, it's just estimation. Okay, the last surah that we're going to cover, which is half in this 26th juz, is Surah Al-Dhariyat. It's quite only a four-page surah, uh, or three pages in some Musafs, but it has 60 verses, but very, very short verses. Look at this. وَالذَّارِيَاتِ ذَرْوَى فَالْحَامِلَاتِ وِقْرَى فَالْجَارِيَاتِ يُسْرَى فَالْمُقَسِّمَاتِ أَمْرَى إِنَّمَا تُوْعَدُونَ لَصَادِكِ So in those first four verses, Allah is taking an oath. By what? By the wind. And its various different functions. The way it the way it causes different things to happen, like lifting the clouds and, 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 and so on. Right? So it's all an oath by the winds. And what is the reasoning for this oath? It's mentioned here that what you've been promised is surely going to occur. What you're being promised or you're warned against, all of that is going to occur. So Allah is taking an oath by these mighty winds. Right? That all of this is going to occur and that this, this, uh, and then Allah discusses several different phenomena and then after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses the believers and some of their traits. So let's look at that. It says, إِنَّ الْمُتَّقِينَ فِي جَنَّاتِ وَعْيُونَ The mutaqeen, the, the, those who are righteous, they're going to be in jannat and uyun. Right? They're going to be in orchards and in springs, uh, gardens and in springs and taking whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to them. Why? Because before that, they used to do good. So they used to do good, so Allah will do good to them. And they used to sleep very little at night. 
كانوا قليلا من الليل ما يهجعون verse 17 sleep very less at night you see in England is very difficult in some of these countries that are not closer to the equator it's very difficult because the summer and winter sunrise sunset times are just all over the place whereas when you're closer to the equator like in Arabia and places like that it's much easier to have a schedule sleep at a particular time wake up at a pray fajr at a particular time now you go places like um, Sri Lanka, Maldives and other places closer to the equator there's only like a half an hour separation uh, difference in Maghrib times it doesn't move much more I think in Saudi it's maybe one hour or something still not bad so you can actually manage your time but in England it goes from 4 o'clock Maghrib to 10.30, 10.45 and more in Scotland and other places and then in Norway it's even more crazy alright so we do our best, but at least in the month of Ramadan, especially in these higher climates where there's very less time for after Isha, then, then inshallah may Allah accept us for those who sleep very less at night. And then after doing that worship all night uh, or at the end portion of the night, at the end of the night, they are making istighfar. And then they have a right in their wealth. There's a wealth in their right for people who ask them. And for others, right? So basically, they spend, they give sadaqah. And um, thereafter, that it carries on the discussion. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of the story of Ibrahim salam and the angels that came to them and how he thought they were just human beings and guests. So then, immediately, according to his etiquette, he went and he brought this roasted uh, meat. But then he saw that they were not eating. And then after that, they gave him the glad tidings of his wife. And, uh, and, and so on and that surah then adds, ends with that see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in between says فَوَرَبِّ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ إِنَّهُ لَحَقٌ مِثْلَ مَا أَنَّكُمْ تَنْتِكُونَ وَفِي السَّمَاءِ رِزْكُكُمْ مَا تُوَعَدُونَ in the heavens is your sustenance and many things that you've been promised so what does that mean why is there sustenance and we don't get things coming down to us packages dropped right unless you're in a war zone you don't get that so what is that discussing? Well, obviously, one of the main sources of our existence here is the rain, right? That comes onto the earth, that creates, mashallah, then you have, again, the sun in the heavens. If it wasn't for the sun, nothing would live here. Then we have the moon at night is in the heavens. So Allah is pointing to all of these facts that you've got so many benefits in the heavens. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who's keeping this up and He's letting it basically run in its rhythm and its system for your benefit. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala قَالُوا كَذَلِكْ قَالَ رَبُّكْ إِنَّهُ هُوَ الْحَكِيمُ الْعَلِيمُ And Allah, Allah is the all-wise and the knowledgeable one. That's how the surah ends. What we're going to do is just have a quick summary. I can't believe that we actually covered this in his time. Because generally the notes I have are about seven pages. Today I had ten pages of notes. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with your du'as allowed us to complete it in just over an hour, alhamdulillah. Now, just to start off Suratul Ahqaf, I remember those were the sand, sand dunes where Hud alayhi salam uh, told his people. So Allah in the beginning of that discusses some of his majestic sights and his signs of power in the heavens. Then there's the discussion of the revelation that came about. Then there's the, there's the encouragement about respect to parents and so on. And uh, don't be of those who say oof, oof to your parents as well. Thereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the, 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 the story of Hud and how his people were finally destroyed right by something they thought was coming to their benefit. Thereafter that, there's a verse which I didn't cover, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses the jinn. He gives an example of the jinn to the people to say that um, even when the jinn listened, um, it's verse of Suratul Ahqaf, it's actually verse 29. When they came to listen to the Quran, Allah turned them in the direction of the Quran. When they heard it, they said, Stop, be silent, listen. And when the, surah, when the Quran was completed, mashallah, they brought faith and they started to warn their people that we've just heard this book being revealed after Musa salam, and it confirms everything beforehand and guides towards the truth and towards the right path right L listen to the caller and um, uh, respond to the caller to Allah so uh, the, the jinn are mentioned in there right which we had no time to cover thereafter that we start Surah Muhammad 
and another name is Surah Al-Qital, lots of laws about that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes paradise in there and describes the certain laws of uh, dealing with prisoners and so on. Then it also reminds the munafiqeen that you're not going to get anywhere with what you're doing and uh, shows how the ending is going to be bad. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us not to be bakhil and not to be maizri. Then we start Surah Al-Fat, which has said was one of the most beloved surahs to the Prophet sallallahu when it was revealed. That talks about the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah and the, the, the pledge of Ridwan and the, the, the soon to come inevitable victory and it reinforces that and it gives a lot of glad tidings to the believers especially the Sahaba at that time and calms them down and gives them a lot of consolation and then after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Muhammadur Rasulullah right and talks about the Sahaba with him and how they were they played each one of their roles very well they didn't allow one role somewhere to affect negatively another role elsewhere. That was mentioned. Then we, ha- we start Surah Al-Hujurat. And Surah Al-Hujurat is obviously a comprehensive surah, probably the most comprehensive surah in a short amount of space about akhlaq and adab, character building, ethics, uh, etiquette and so on. So look through that and you know all the ghiba and everything that's mentioned in there. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, discuss obviously in there several things like for example also verify verification of information don't just pass things on and uh, brotherhood is very important unity is very important in there and love for one another and all these points of general difference are all addressed in there that they should not be points of difference thereafter that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah qaf he talks about the disbelievers and he brings various different evidences from prophets and their people and from the heavens and so on and from the phenomena around us and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala depicts the case on the day of judgment the scene on the day of judgment and Allah tells the humans certain things about them like that we know everything about you including what you whisper we are closer to you than your jugular vein and so on and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that your rizq is in the heavens and the earth. So you will get your rizq. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes uh, also, we didn't, we didn't discuss that in detail. All of these things are mentioned. And by that, we then end with Surah Al-Dhariyat and the discussion with Ibrahim Islam at the end and the believers' characteristics are mentioned there. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. May Allah be blessed. May His words be blessed Allah, and, he, and elevated. And may they strike our hearts in the right way and be embedded in our hearts. And may Allah make us of the best of people, of those who listen to the Quran, learn the Quran, and teach the Quran. And by that, we end 26 juz. And uh, please pray for us on your Laylatul Qadr, whenever it is tonight, tomorrow. Please pray for us. And uh, remember us in your du'as as well. And remember everything that, you know, all, all those who help and assist and this masjid people as well. Allah bless everybody. Allah bless you all. Allah allow us to spend our 27 night Laylatul Qadr whenever it is and accept it from us. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.